It's good to be together at the start of a new season. Um, September is one of those times, isn't it, where uh, it's a bit of a crazy month when everything starts again. Things are a bit here, there and everywhere. Um, but it's also a month where it's good, isn't it, to reset, refocus, um, have an opportunity to kick back into some rhythms and routine. Those of us who um, <clears throat> like routine, like September, those of us who don't, don't, <laughs> um, generally speaking. But I think because the summer's so long here often, even though it hasn't maybe at times felt like a summer this year, um, uh, most people, I think, are ready um, for this particular part of the year. And we um, are, uh, as a church, we've always liked to take that, um, use that to our advantage, um, the start of September, to um, reset as a church around our vision and our values, um, lay out a bit of a track for where we're going um, and uh, take a little bit of time again to go around the foundations of the house that we are building and that God is building amongst us. Uh, and so obviously that's happening at a really significant time for us, as we know, with the new building and stuff like that. Um, and um, that's why we've called this series Compass. Um, so uh, I'll, um, I'll come on to what's on the screen in a moment, but just a few other preliminary things. What Bruno has said, just practically speaking, just so you know, we will all go up to the new building next week and we'll take time um, as a whole family together, there, worship and prayer, break bread together. It'll probably be a shorter talk with the kids and all in and more of a celebration and uh, we'll enjoy that together as we move into the new building. And then over the next few weeks, we'll, um, we'll keep you right. Don't worry just exactly how we're going to worship and all together. And then the kids are going to come down here for their environments. But we will explain that a little bit more next week so everyone is clear. But with all this, this going on, it is such a good opportunity for us to, to go around the foundations to explain some of the core DNA of who we are as a church. Um, for those of you who have been around since the beginning or for quite a few years, you'll have heard some of this stuff before, but um, I was reminded this week it takes you to hear something seven times before you actually fully remember it and it goes in. So for those of you who have heard it many times, hopefully um, it's, it's, it's seeping in to the neural pathways um, of your brain and hopefully more imprinted on your heart. And for those of you who are new, um, we're hoping that this brings you up to speed a little bit more with who we are. Um, we really do want you to feel part of things. Conscious of the fact there have been a number of new people come over the last number of months um, for different reasons and uh, uh, different life circumstances, different church reasons and all of that. And I just really want to say, um, first and foremost, if, if, if we're just a stepping stone, on your spiritual journey to where God is leading you, then we're more than happy to be that. And we hope that this is a really safe place for you to discern that and to think that through um, and all of that. Um, but equally, if you are feeling like this is somewhere that God is knitting your heart to and your the next season of your life to, we just want you to know we'd love that. We'd, we'd love you to be feel part of that. And uh, hence, a little soup lunch. We'll do a, a proper kind of membership class later in January in 2024. But um, for those of you who would like to know a little bit more around the way we're ordered and structured and how things operate, I'm going to have a soup lunch on the 17th of September for, for you, as Bruna has mentioned. But hopefully over the next Sundays of September, you'll also pick up some of the core elements of what makes us what we feel God wants us to be. And, um, and the reason that we do this is um, 
it's really important, I find, in church life to have as much as possible what we call a common script, uh, a kind of fluency together of what we mean when we say certain things. Because all of us know whether it's in life and family and business, we can say things, and if we've got a different understanding of what those things mean, then our expectations of one another get wrong and people get a little bit hurt or misunderstood and all of those things. And that's ultimately always going to happen where there's people. But at the same time where we can help that by developing a common script to understand who we are, where we're going and why we do it, then that can be really, really helpful. And uh, so we've tried to work hard over the years at laying um, out really good language, defining it, because va defining our values, because values create culture. Um, and if you don't ever name, you'll, you'll always have a culture. Um, you, just, you just will. And if you never define it, then you'll have a culture with values that you maybe don't like. <laughs> but you'll always end up with something. And so it's quite good, I find, that in any walk of life that we bring language, good language, that helps define our values so that everybody's clear what those values are so that you can see the culture imprinted in your church or in your life or in your home or in your business or wherever it may be that you, that you want. And, uh, and so we've aimed to try to do that over the years. It's not necessarily perfect, but we hope it helps and allows us to become more fluent together in a common language and therefore expectations of one another and of the leadership hopefully can be more precise and more clear um, because we often say what the New Testament teaches us is that the alignment that we have together is as important as the assignment that God has called us to. It's not just getting the job done. It's how we go about doing the job. And that is a really specific thing that sometimes is really underestimated and undervalued in the New Testament. And so that's why we spend a bit of time through these uh, weeks going over some of the core principles and foundations of who we are. Paul called himself a master builder. It was important for him that people knew how the foundations of the house of God were being built. And so we, we obviously want to do all of that, not just because it's a good idea, but because we want to show you how we feel in the New Testament. We have a paradigm or a, a biblical framework for why we have the sort of language and values that we do. And so our guide over the next few, few weeks We'll just probably go up to the 1st of October in this little mini-series um, called Compass will be the Book of Acts, and um, which is great. And I'm going to have to like rein it in because I think it is my favorite book in the Bible. I absolutely just love the Book of Acts. Um, love, love it from start to finish. Could live there forever just geeking out on that book. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Acts is a two-part series. Luke, the, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the Book of Acts. And so it's like a, Acts is like a sequel to Luke's. Uh, to Luke's gospel. And, uh, and what I want to show you this morning, just really quickly, is that there's a pattern that Luke wanted us to see. And he spells this out really, actually really, really clearly in Luke chapter 1. So let's begin there for a moment. Just jump into Luke 1, and then we're going to get to Acts. So <clears throat> this is what he says in Luke chapter 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So what he means there is, I'm going to tell you something that came from the eyewitnesses of Jesus, the people that saw him first, the things that he said, the things that he did. Now, I've, I've kind of spent time researching all of that, listening to them. And then he says, with this in mind, since I have myself, sorry, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, 
I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So the thing I want you to notice there is the bit I have bolded, which is Luke is writing an orderly account of selected events, right? What does that mean? That means inspired by the Holy Spirit, he really thought about the way he ordered his book. It wasn't just like, right, Holy Spirit, take my pen and we'll see what happens. It was Holy Spirit and thought, genius, right? Thinking through how he wanted to order his book, Luke, and his book, Acts, in order for us People like Theophilus, Theophilus means lover of God, and he was probably a real person, but in, in one way, his name is a metaphor for the church, all the lovers of God down through the ages. Luke is writing to us because he wants us to realize there is a pattern going on. And so then we jump, so he tells us, so if you can imagine, back our one sec, so if you can imagine, that's Luke 1, right? And then he writes all the chapters of Luke, tells us all about Jesus, uh, there, there's a pattern there I'll, try and, I'll not go into today, right? And then he gets to the end of Luke, and he tells us at the end of the Luke, when Jesus is about to be uh, sorry, ascended to heaven, he said that the gospel is going to go forth from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And then we come into Acts chapter 1, and Acts chapter 1 tells us this. In my former book, Theophilus, so Theophilus is getting part two, uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and onto the ends of the earth. So essentially what we have here in Luke is, as I say, inspired by the Spirit an account for the church right down through the ages to pay really strong attention to because he, he wants us to get something. And <clears throat> there's, there's, there's lots of ways I could go with this this morning, but here, here's what I want you to try and get before we talk a little bit about how we apply the book of Acts to our church here and our local story. Luke, or sorry, Acts is not just a history book. Sometimes when you study RE, that's what you hear. It's like just a history book. It's the Acts of the Apostles recorded. But Acts is, is the story of how what Jesus said, go back one sec, kids, will you? how what Jesus said at the bottom of here of Acts in verse 8, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria. This is Luke telling us exactly what Jesus said was going to happen, how it actually happened. So, so it's that first and foremost. But it's also then, as we understand that, it's showing us the normative kind of practices and principles that the church should adopt right through the ages. So hopefully this is making sense. Next slide, I'll show you. How do we approach this book? T two ways, if you like. The first way is it's telling us the big story of the early church over its 30 years. 
Do, do you ever do you ever think? I sometimes think. Look, I wish you'd have told us a bit more about how Peter died, or where did Thomas go? Like, where did he go with the gospel? Like, apparently he went to India, but it'd be great if you told us that. Or it would be great if you told us, like, a, a kind of list of the apostles and how they all, where they all went. And, like, a, a bit of a history. That would be an amazing thing, Look, if you'd have told us all that. But Luke primarily is not interested in that. Luke wants to show us that what Jesus said was going to happen, the first cycle of that actually did happen. And so he charts through his book from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 28, that trajectory, that journey of it going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria into Europe and then to Rome. And Rome in those days was obviously the center of civilization, the place where people from almost every tribe and tongue had been captured and brought to. And the gospel had made its way right into the heart of the superpower of the day and penetrated every aspect of civilization. And so what we see first and foremost in the book of Acts is Luke saying how the Jesus movement went from Jerusalem and Judea. So if you were to leaf through your Bible right now, you'd see that the first six chapters are focused on Jerusalem and the Judea surrounding area, and then how with Philip the gospel goes to Samaria, and then how through Peter and Cornelius the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles, and Paul gets converted, and he becomes a kind of pioneer into the Gentile world, and how then it goes into Philippi and Europe, and it's starting to move more this way, west, and then it ends up in Rome, and Paul is writing in the final verses of Acts under house arrest in Rome. And it says this beautiful little phrase. I don't have it on the screen. At the very last verse of Acts says, uh, Paul was under house arrest and the gospel went forth unhindered, right? So Luke is like leaving us with a cliffhanger to go. I've told you the big arc of how this happens. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's cycle one done. Now, the church for the rest of the ages, you... You pick up where this left off and you continue to find your story in this big story of the Great Commission. So then when we get that big arc of understanding what he's doing, then the second thing we realize is, sorry, let's get us back one. Having established this trajectory of the book or this journey of the book, we can, we can carefully go through it looking for keys. We can spend time going back through going, what do we learn? We sometimes say that's normative practices. In other words, practices that can be applied in every context ever since the first church because there's patterns of the Holy Spirit for us to find. And I guess that's why, the reason that I really want to spell this out is that's why when we make decisions as a church, you will generally hear us referencing the book of Acts or some of Paul's letters. Why? Because it's not just a good idea, but because we've got the gift in the book of Acts inspired by Luke by the Holy Spirit, we've got, we've got a gift of how we should operate and function and the things that we should almost expect to happen because they've been laid out. Because Luke was inspired not just to go, oh, this is a good idea, I'll write this down today, to write an orderly account of selected events. And, uh, and that's, I think, really, really helpful for us to think about. And so we, we want to contextualize, if that's the word, apply what we learn in the book of Acts to our story, and we've we've always tried to do that, particularly over the last you know decade or so. That's been something that's been really really important to us. And so because of that, because the Great Commission is the key to all of this, when it comes to our vision as a church, um, this is this is our vision. Sorry, let me say that first. 
Good point, Kiss. Thanks. How how do we? So that's that's. I've basically told you all that introduction to say this. This is our story, or this is the question that we ask. How do we locate our story as a local church, followers of Jesus, two over two thousand ish years later? How do we locate our story within this big story we find of the unfolding of the Great Commission? That should be the question that every local church asks itself. And how successful a local church is, is how well they've answered that question. A local church is not successful just because of the numbers it has, just because of the nice building it has, just because whether or not they've produced a worship album or not, whether or not their coffee's good, whether they've got nice sofas. That's nothing to do with the success of a local church. The success of a local church is how faithful have you been to the Great Commission? And how are we seeing the results of making disciples, not just in your own local context, but into the nations? And so because we have thought about this question a lot, the vision that we feel God has given us is, is this. This is our vision as a church. And you'll, you'll see how it's our own, our, our own version, really, of the Great Commission. To rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland, and the nations with the good news of the kingdom of God. Um, throughout the years, this vision has been crystallized. The, the church, in, including Lurgan, if you like, that journey of Emmanuel is, I should know this, I think it's 27 or 28 years or something, um, around about this time of the year, September. Um, but we didn't write this vision statement. The reason I'm telling you that is we didn't write this vision statement until probably about 10 years ago. Because you know, we grew, we grew into an understanding of what God had called us to do. When, when Emmanuel was first started, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a bunch of people that were a little bit disenfranchised, but really hungry for the Lord, hungry for God, and just wanted God to do something. And so we, we met around the tables, and we worshipped, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we worshipped, and we saw people saved. And then we were like, what do we do with them? We have to disciple them. And it was kind of making it up a little bit as we go along, obviously with, with the inspiration of the Scriptures to help us do that. But, but over the years, then it became more apparent that God had, a, had an assignment for us in this area, that we, weren't, we were being raised up for a purpose. And I guess as we met many of you and as we planted Portadown and as we spoke to Chris and Debbie and other of you guys who were part of Vineyard and realized there was others who sh- shared this vision for God doing something in this area, then this, 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 um, this vision became more and, and more deep, uh, deeply a part of us to, to rewrite the story of a failed city. We started to understand where we lived and what that would mean and, and something that was tried in terms of a citywide plan that didn't really fully work for lots of different reasons but had some good stuff and how could we rewrite that story of this broader area and of Ireland and, and the nations and so so um, so throughout the years it's become more and more important to us and we hope that that can be compelling because prophetic vision I think it's on the next slide prophetic vision should be compelling of a preferred a compelling picture of a preferred future it's 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 something that's um, hopefully aspires you to move beyond where you're currently at um, in order to see something wonderful. And, and the Bible's full of prophetic vision. And the thing about prophetic vision is it's so compelling that you spend the rest of your days giving yourself to it. You, you might never fully see it happen, but it compels your heart in such a way that you still want to get up every day and do it. The, the Bible has prophetic vision in it. It's it's a wolf flying with a lamb. Will, will we ever see that on, in this world? 
probably not, and I'm not going to let them, you know, Big Trev there, I'm sure, is not going to let any of his wee lambs, like we said, the wolves to test it out, right? So, so um, or, or a child playing with a snake. Like, none of us are probably going to, like, you know, try that one out either, just, just in case. You know, these are pictures of a future, of a preferred future that we will give our lives to a place for no more tears, no more sun. Imagine that. Like, we're, 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 we're never really fully going to see the reality of that before Jesus comes back. But, but the kingdom has already come. It's in us. The kingdom of God was in you. And because of that, we get up every morning, we're enthused because we're working towards a world that is breaking into, and we're seeing glimpses of it, but not that full picture. And so as, as a church, we get caught up. We get on the inside story and the inside track, if you like, by the spirit of this unfolding great commission. And that's why we have this desire. It should be aspirational, something that we give our whole lives to. But in order to kind of help us think that through a little bit more, because it can feel a wee bit like completely out there, how do we, how do we give some more flesh and bones to this? What we did was a number of years ago, we wrote, again, inspired by the book of Acts, we, we, we wrote um, six long-term aims that help just... Um, that, that help give a like guide rails, signposts, if you like, to how this could be fulfilled. And I'm going to just read each one of them to you. Um, these are yeah goals that help us map out the broad strategy of how we fulfill our vision. And here's the six of them. We want to posture and prepare ourselves to help steward a move of God's spirit in Ireland. So 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 more than build a big church, we want to see a move of God in the land. It's as big as that, and it's as bold as that, and it's maybe even as stupid as that. But that's, that's what we want to be about, about seeing the Holy Spirit fall in this land and they do something wonderful all across the nation, north and south. We want to create a culture of radical discipleship that releases a movement of people fulfilling the Great Commission. Yeah? We want to build a mature, thriving local resource church across Lurgan and Portadown. We want to release a, an apostolic movement of church plants around Ireland. We want to conceive and implement citywide transformation initiatives for the whole Craigavon area. And we want to train and release leaders through a mature pipeline of development that helps us make this happen. These aims guide what we do. They guide where we spend our money. They guide where we invest. They guide who we employ. Because we feel like these are the things that help us see the vision fulfilled. As I was repairing this, it's actually really encouraging because many of these things that we wrote a number of years ago, we were seeing some of these things happen right in front of our eyes. Like when we wrote some of these long-term aims, there was no Emmanuel Porter Down. When we, when we wrote some of these aims, there was only the beginning of the shoots of Tabar. Now a network of 13 or 14 churches across Ireland. When we wrote these, these aims, we, we didn't have a new festival. We, we, we didn't have that imagination for what it could be to gather thousands of people in a field and cry out for a move of God. When we, when we wrote these aims, we, we didn't have the, the citywide initiatives that we have. We didn't have, a, we didn't have pantries. We didn't, we, we didn't have the, the work that's being done amongst the least and the broken and the poor as much as we do now. We didn't, we didn't have a leadership pathway the way we, we do now for people that were... God has been faithful and good, and sometimes it's important just to acknowledge and give thanks to God for, for what he's done. Um, and so what happened really as we came out of COVID and tried to discern a sense of vision for the rest of the decade, taking us up to 2030, 
we tried to work out how do these, how does this vision and these aims, what does that actually look like um, in terms of where we're going over the next, yeah, over the rest of this decade. And uh, and so we came up with this little video which we showed last, um, we showed last January, earlier on this year, at the start of this year, and we're just going to show you it again. It's just five minutes long, and rather than me preach this and talk this, um, we're just going to let you watch the video, and you'll see how the six aims are the headings for the different things that we're we're going to do. So if we're good to go, hopefully, kids, watch this video together. Okay, so there you go, folks. See us all later. <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, a few more things to say, and then we're going to take break bread together. So th there's lots in that. We hope it's compelling. We hope it's slightly overwhelming. We hope it makes you feel like we couldn't do that on our own. We, we hope it makes you feel like, where are we going to get all the money to do that? Um, all of those kind of questions, because in one sense, that's exactly what vision should be and do, if it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But so many of those things have already begun to, to happen. Mir miracles are happening, right? in front of us, you know, in our own building, which you've referenced many times and the provision of that, you know, it's wonderful to see Cheryl in that video and all of a sudden, she's, she, her and David are away to, to Balana to, to plant and establish and all of those wonderful things are happening in front of us. And uh, we, 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 we want each, all of our church family to really understand that the part that they're playing that. So what, what we do, just so you know, is we have this vision and these long-term aims. And then each year as a leadership team, we and as our staff and all of that and discernment together, we work out what are our short-term aims? What are the things over the next six months to a year that the Holy Spirit is putting on our hearts to really prioritize? And that's how we try and function best. But it allows us then to stay in step with the Holy Spirit in the day-to-day -day and to be flexible to how he changes things around. But what's really important to emphasize is I'll land this in the next five minutes or so is that all of these are not just aims that we plucked out of the sky because they feel like good ideas. They are things that we, we believe that have been informed and inspired by the Holy Spirit because what we read, particularly in Acts chapter 2, is not about the birthing of an organization or the beginning of a massive institution or of the building of some church monument. What we see is the birthing of a dynamic people movement, unlike anything the world has ever seen or will ever see in the future, where the power of God comes upon a bunch of ordinary people like you and me, uh, and they are surrendered to Jesus, and they literally change the world. And so hopefully you can see that reflected in some of our aims. It's not about building an Emmanuel monument. It's about surrendering as radical disciples of Jesus to the movement of the Holy Spirit. It's always movement over monument. And, and what, what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out? This is, this is what we see. This is the result of it. The new wine is poured out, the power of the Holy Spirit. But what does the wineskin look like that contains it? Here's what it looks like, Acts chapter 2. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Our hearts are always arrested by this passage every time we read it. Why? Because that's the kind of community that we were all born to be a part of. And what we see here in Acts chapter 2 is not just a movement. We see a family. And God is doing, by the Holy Spirit, both of those things at the one time. 
releasing movement and building family. And only God can do that. And um, <laughs> there's my, 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 the use of my centrifugal, centripetal terms, which I love to re- reference. But um, because centrifugal is, is, is the movement away from the center and centripetal is the movement towards the center. And only God can do both at the same time. And so many churches and so many church denominations and structures have chosen to be just one of them. We're really good at releasing people, but not really good at building family. And loads of churches are really good at building family, but there's no sense of mission and movement. And we're not perfect by any means, but it is our desire to try with the grace of God to be both of those things, because that's what the Holy Spirit was doing, sending out people into the streets while at the same time building one new humanity between Jew and Gentile, male and female, old and young, master and slave. And so we want to be that family on a mission. And so movement is the vision stuff that I've talked about, vision and, 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 and aims. But what I want to reiterate is what I said at the start. It's not just about where we're going. It's how we're going to get there. Because we've all probably, many of us have lived long enough to know it's all right if you get to the aims. But if you get to the aims and you're not friends anymore, and there's a trail of bodies behind you afterwards, and you've, all, what was the point anyway? And the reality is there's something wired within us for community, for family. That's why all the best movies are teams or about shared stories or about people on a journey together. That's why they arrest our hearts and souls because that's what we were born for. And um, we're not perfect at being a family by any straits, but that's partly because (laughs) we're all here because we're all imperfect. Um, But we do want to make it our goal, our aim, you know, to, to be that to do what we need to do to be that, to learn how to love one another, to learn how to say sorry, to, to, to learn how to hold our hands up when we got it wrong, to learn how to give one another the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes love is about speaking the truth, the Bible says. Sometimes love is also about covering a multitude of sins. And the wisdom is both at the same time. How do you create a community where we speak the truth in love and at the same time we just give each other the benefit of the doubt? Wisdom is needed in how that's applied, but both of them have to hold us together. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is the outworking of the movement in family. And so as a family, here's our core values, based on the words of Jesus and seen in the book of Acts, loving God, loving people, loving the world. That's been part of us pretty much since the beginning. And this is obvious in the life of the first church. And it's obvious because one word stands out. Well, lots of things stand out in that passage in Acts that I read. But the the word that I think stands out the most to me is the word devoted. It's a great word. They devoted themselves. That means they were all in, 100%. Not just just for the church, the monument, for Jesus. There weren't any better prayers than us. They were just so into Jesus that they prayed. They didn't know the scriptures any better than us, necessarily. But they were so into Jesus that they wanted to know what he said. They, were, they, they weren't, you know, necessarily better personalities than us, more educated, more, more you know, more, more culturally aware. They weren't any, they were so into Jesus that the Holy Spirit taught them and they became one in him. And everything the early church did, they did because they were hot. They were hot for Jesus. There was nothing that lukewarm. It was not an appendix on the rest of their lives. They were hot. 
They were, that's why we have these nights tonight and seek first because we want to stay hot in our love for Jesus. The temperature was burning with serious white hot love and devotion for Jesus. But that hotness of love for Jesus, then it looked like something. It looked like a life of radical discipleship. And so those three values, loving God, loving people, and loving the world, are expressed in, uh, in our six practices. The next one, um, Kez, which is these six practices, which are these green things round, <laughs> green things, green signs around the walls, prayer and worship, creativity, hospitality and generosity, compassion and justice, discipleship and mission. And so our, our life group structures and things like that are, 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 are based around these because we want to grow in all of these areas because we think Jesus expressed all of these things beautifully and therefore so did the early church in response. And, and so this is part of our key language. Now, to summarize as we come to communion, I know there's quite a lot of language and information, but I'm going to try and summarize it around this. One vision, six long-term aims, three core values, and six practices. Now, I even worked out in PowerPoint how to do those wee bracket things myself. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Yeah, th thanks, thanks, folks, right? It's up on the top left on your wee card. Anyway, I'll show you. Anybody wants to know if you're doing assignments, I'll, I'll, I'll help you out with that, right? But the movement is all about the vision and the aims. And the family is all about our core values and our practices. And both of those things have to operate together. If we do one without the other, we'll get some things done, but we'll not love each other along the way. And Jesus will be like, what would you do that for? If we do it the other way, we'll love one another, but those of us who, you know, people get frustrated, will not fulfill the mission of Jesus. We'll rely on just being nice to one another and not need the power of God to go into the streets and demonstrate the spirit in the inbreaking of the kingdom. And, uh, and so, as we finish this today, how can you apply this personally to your life? Well, what does devotion look like? As, as we go into this new building, we're, I, I, I don't want this to feel like, um, I don't want this to feel like striving. I don't want it to feel like, uh, you know, giving some kind of pep talk for everybody to up the ante. I, don't, I, do, I do think there is a gentle challenge to my heart and to all of our hearts. God is entrusting us with more. And that means, I think, a call for everybody to go that little bit deeper in the body. Um, is that beautiful analogy when, it, when the, the sea level rises in the harbor? How many boats rise? Not, not just one. All, all, all the boats rise as well. And I, I just really want to encourage you to think really personally about how we apply this to our lives, how, how, how we all go a little bit deeper, how we all surrender a little bit more so the power of Jesus can come in our lives. The early church was ordered around practices and principles and rhythms. They had rhythms of life. And, and maybe for those of you who have our little life rhythms, kind of the quadrant that we give out, which we go, we talk about a life of prayer, like a life of relationships, mission, and, and rest. Um, to think about taking this out again, if you want another one, they're at the back. And what does it look like to build that spiritual discipline into our lives so that we can have life rhythms that really enhance our journey into Christ-likeness. It looks like serving. It's like everybody in the body doing their bit. And Acts, it's amazing, isn't it? The apostles are really key, but there's not like one 
you know, sort of head honcho or anything like that. It's everybody working together, everybody serving, everybody getting involved. And so, you know, if you're not already serving, think, think about doing that. It's about prayer. It's about people coming to pray. It's about not, not you know, they met together daily, it says, praying. And it wasn't like some religious duty. It was because they were hot. They just, they wanted to focus on being with one another and crying out to God. And so try and prioritize corporate prayer this year in, in, in your life. And it was about giving. It was about radical generosity. People, like it's so inspiring, isn't it? People selling houses and let, putting, put, put, putting the proceeds down at the feet of the apostles. But even, even just general obedience and tithing and in giving was so, so important for the life of the church. And that's what we want to encourage you how, how to think about this personally. And finally, just as we come to communion, maybe those who are serving communion can go and get ready. And because um, uh, we're going to pass communion round today. And as we pass communion round, I'd, I'd love you to hold it, if that's okay. Would you would you hold it? And uh, we're going to take it together in a little moment. Um, but I, I want us to think about, at the center of this uh, community that we see in the book of Acts, the early church, you see a, a covenant community ordered around white-hot devotion, sustained by rhythms and practices. And that, that covenant community bit is so, so important. Uh, when people talk about membership in churches, it means certain things, but the problem is sometimes what it happens is it becomes like, uh, like a tick box exercise. Do you believe what we believe and are you going to do what we think you should do? And that, First and foremost, membership in the body of Christ looks like a commitment to Jesus and a commitment to one another in and through sacrificial love. And the best way that we can commit ourselves to Jesus and to his body is in remembering the meal that he told us to keep on having until he came back. Because as we take this bread and as we take this juice, we're remembering the sacrificial love that is the essence of the new covenant that the church is built upon. Greater love is no one in this than he lays down his life for his friends. But we remember, even though the slight issue is for hygiene purposes, it would be my preference, but nobody else thinks this, I guess, so it's just fine that we have one big loaf and we all get our hands in it and we break it off. And well, right, But, you know, for reasons we can't do that, right? But that's really what it is. It's one loaf. It's one body broken up into little pieces because we belong we are on the earth today, the body of the living Jesus, continuing to live by the power of his spirit in us. And so as the guys um, give out the bread and juice, I'm going to ask, the guys are going to play it gently and maybe sing um, gently and uh, just hold the bread and juice because they're going to just lead us in it as we do that, okay? So let's, um, let's um, just reflect on what the Lord has maybe been saying to you as the guys play. And as you get your bread and juice, they will take it together.